Hey, welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. This is going to sound a little bit different, mostly because I have an awesome guest in here. Uh, you know her, you love her, you know the voice. It is Angela Brown. Oh, man. I don't know if I'm worthy of that intro, yeah. but thank you. <laughs> you know, this is going to be a little bit different than what we usually do. We always do something different in December. You know, last December, we did something on the blog where we made some predictions about what things would look like in 2022. And we're going to look back. A year ago, we read the tea leaves, and now we're going to spill the tea, and we're going to figure <laughs> out, hey, I, did I use that right? Am I cool enough to do that? I Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're going to go back, ask each other about our predictions. How'd they go? What'd we get right? You know, before though, Angela, how'd 2022 go for you? In life or in, <laughs> in the school world? I mean, I it's it's really interesting to look back on these because something I don't think I actually do enough is go back and look at our our different blog posts and some of the things that like you know I, we're in such a, a pattern of getting things out and making sure that people mm-hmm. see them. And, and we do, we do look at the data, you know, I, I want to be fully transparent about that. We don't tell other people to do that and then not do it internally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it was a little embarrassing to look at <laughs> what I thought was going to happen or hoped was going to happen from an enrollment marketing perspective and, and what actually occurred. And I, I think it just, it speaks to the pace of change in K-12. You know, my my side of the shop is a little different from yours. And just a tad, just a tad. Just a little bit, just a little bit. And so, you know, I, I think that's very much reflected in any gaps that you'll find between what I predicted and what I also saw, what I actually saw. I also think that, interestingly, you know, because parent behavior changes so much. And every year in a K-12 admissions or communications environment can look and feel very different. You know, it can be tough to look ahead a full year and say, these are the things that are and aren't going to happen. So that's a lens that I know I'll be using when I make my 2023 predictions coming soon. Plug Mm -hmm. there. As much as you might hope to see some things, they might not always happen on the timeline that you're hoping for. How about you? How were things in higher ed? Uh, it's, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, yeah. there's so much changing so fast. It's really been interesting to be on the outside looking in this past yeah. year. You know, you get the more high level rather than everything's on fire all the time. <laughs> so I, I have enormous respect for anyone who is, who is on that side of the desk. You know, I'll, I'll tie this in to what we're doing here with our prognostifest. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, we were, we were harsh graders, but you know, I think we, we did our best work and, and we made our best predictions. I think it's the same thing on the other side that everybody out there is doing their best work with the resources they have, with the predictions they can make, because you can't look at five-year data anymore. You can't look at three-year data anymore. It's made planning and predicting very, very challenging. Yeah. Agreed. Well, how about we we start off with your report card and and see if, <laughs> see, see if we're going to be going out to Dairy Queen after report cards come out. Or not. 
<laughs> so, as I as I shared with Will before we started recording, this is a report card that had I brought it home to my parents back in the day, they might have been a little disappointed, but that's okay because I'm going to start with my best grade. And so okay. my first prediction was that traditional public schools and districts would invest more in marketing. And I gave myself a B with that one. Um, you know, that's an area that coming from the independent school world was newer to me last year mm -hmm. when I joined Niche. And so it's been very interesting to get to know more people working in school PR, what the day to day realities are like, the things that they that they have to deal with. And it's for one, it's very different from my world working at a private school. You're dealing with a much bigger scale of constituents, and it's actually it's a, a much broader role because you're doing more traditional communications work like media outreach and engagement, um, but you're also pulled into a lot of other things. So you are doing some marketing. You do have to be that person that's often writing policies that might get written by someone else in a private school mm -hmm. environment. Um a lot more logo policing is involved there <laughs> just because the scale is much wider. And so it's it's a big job. But, you know, as we've all heard over the course of the pandemic in particular, there's definitely become more and more of a need for public schools to think more strategically and intentionally about marketing. And so I have seen a little bit more of that starting to happen. I'm seeing more questions about family outreach for specific age groups and entry points. But beyond websites, which are kind of the bread and butter and we know are really important for schools and districts, I haven't seen a significant industry-wide shift. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think it's it's an area where there's still some room for improvement. We did a couple of surveys recently, State of Enrollment Marketing and our parent survey, in state of enrollment marketing, we had 44% of respondents that said that increasing enrollment was a priority for this year, and 38% said that school or district branding was a priority. So I do think we're going to continue to see this evolve over time, mostly out of necessity. But I, I think all in all, I, I landed with a solid B yeah. with that one. It's a little difficult because, you know, you don't get a say in state funding. You don't get nope. a say. In <laughs> <laughs> if I'm in a public in a urban area, suburban area where families have lots of options, and especially in a choice state where that money's going to follow the students. Oh yeah. You have to do something, right? You have to be mm -hmm. able to retain families. You have to be able to attract new families. You know what? Yeah. I think that that's a whole ecosystem of how do you help support these schools? How do you make sure that they can build up this team of people? I mean, you can't just have one person try to do PR and marketing and everything for an yeah. entire district. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's an enormous task. How do you build up that capacity? How do you build up that professional development? That's the challenge. I think it's that. And it's also a matter of making the most out of the resources that you have, because unfortunately, in a lot of districts, that is the reality. You have these, you know, shops of one or departments of one that we hear about all the time. I think one of the initial opportunities for people who are in those positions beyond relying on other people that you work with, you know, the really eager teachers who want mm -hmm. to be supportive and other administrators to serve as an extension of your team 
is also to make sure that the tactics that you're using are actually effective and measurable. Mm -hmm. When I see some of these questions about how do I recruit kindergarten families or how do we increase enrollment in these specific age groups or specific locations, a lot of the tactical responses center on things like direct mail and billboards. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows how I feel about billboards yep. <laughs> at this point. But things that are very expensive to produce and not very effective in terms of actually, I mean, from a brand awareness play, sure. You know, if you, if you have a lot of money to burn, you can probably do things like that mm -hmm. and not really worry about getting the ROI. But if your budget is tight, your resources are limited, you really want to be able to focus on the things that are going to matter. And that means that you need to be meeting your families online. And that website that you invested all that time in, that you may have partnered with a great company and spent thousands of dollars to build for you, they're not going to find it if you're not actually meeting them where, where they are. No one is driving down the road and going, oh, that's where I'm going to send my kid to school. That's not how those decisions <laughs> are made. And yep. it's the same with mail, right? Like if you get a postcard in the mail that's generic and says, you know, come to this event or come be a whatever your mascot is like that. That's fine. And it probably feels good to people who are already part of your community, but it's not going to be particularly effective when it comes to actually getting enrolled families. And the measurable is such a big part there of yes. 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 You can get some fuzzy measurements about the effectiveness of a brand campaign. Cause you could put up billboards in an area and then do a, uh, a, a perception or, or uh, sentiment survey before and after and see if you get anything there or just a overall awareness survey before and after. Do you have that lift? Okay, that's all fuzzy though because yeah. it might just be who you reach as well. Exactly. And you get a lot more of that with digital. You get a lot more of that ability to prove what you're doing. Right. 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 Exactly. A billboard with a URL on it, who's going to be writing that down as they drive down or my favorite is the billboard with a QR code on it because who at Ugh. 60 miles an hour is going to pull out their phone and snap Hopefully a picture, right? no one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that at that point it's, it's a crash R code, not a QR code. Yeah. We don't want to encourage no. that. We don't want to encourage that. Shall I go well, to my next one? Let's go to number two. This one's going to be the A plus. Oh, it's not. It's actually all downhill from here, unfortunately, oh. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. You know, we take that's, the I good mean, and the bad, right? You're your own worst critic, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so this one was interesting because I really think it speaks to just how quickly things can change over the course of a year. So I'll provide some context first. At this point in 2021, we were hearing this narrative that Private schools in particular were absolutely at capacity and everyone was pulling their kids out of public schools and private schools and homeschooling and charter schools. Mm -hmm. That was the, the way of the future, right? And we had all of these schools with full enrollment. And so I made this prediction based on what was happening at the time. And so mm -hmm. my prediction was that schools that had full enrollment were going to take marketing essentials off the back burner, meaning some of the kind of basic things, you know, like really focusing on your brand messaging, like doing review campaigns to make sure that your reviews and testimonials were up to date, 
that people would be able to pull those things to the forefront because they weren't necessarily as much in this mode of we've got to fill seats, we've got to fill seats. And I gave myself a C for this one. And that is because we saw a shift in the last year that I didn't really anticipate was going to happen so quickly at this stage of the pandemic. And this, again, comes from some of our data. So last year, we had 59% of schools in our state of enrollment marketing survey say that their inquiries were up and 60% said that their applications had increased. This year, we saw that inquiries and applications were up again. So that interest is continuing to be there. They're pretty much on par with last fall. But we also saw that 36% of private schools failed to meet their enrollment goals by June 1st. And that's a date that we use kind of as a baseline because for most private schools and independent schools, that's the contract binding date that they use where that kind of sets your projections for how many people you're going to have on opening day. And that's very different from last year. More than half of our respondents last year said that they had reached their enrollment goals by June 1st. Hmm. So it's a pretty big drop. And that's interesting to me because it tells me that something funky is kind of happening between, you know, the top of the funnel and, and when people actually need to pull the trigger on enrollment. So that's something to dig into. That's a good area for schools to kind of benchmark against themselves. If you're, if that's not something you're already doing already in your own enrollment funnel analysis, really looking at where that breakdown might be, where the leaks are happening. Mm-hmm. And we also saw an increase in the percentage of schools that reported increased attrition. So that's another big flag. You know, if you're seeing it both on the enrollment side and on the retention side, you've got leaks in two places that are not good. Yeah. And so that that's where that C comes from because I think we, we've we now come back full circle almost to this place of, you know, people having to really think about both enrollment and retention. Yeah. And that's interesting because that mirrors what we were seeing in some of the college things as well, that, you know, people saying applications are up, inquiries are up, visits are up, and, and all this is up except, deposits are down enrollments are down mm-hmm. it's i wonder if it's a similar thing happening where there's this wider net being cast so when we yeah. surveyed the enrolling students so the the students who are starting college in the fall we were seeing them saying things like well they're applying to even more colleges than than before you mm-hmm. know they're doing all these things they're going to drive down yields they're going to drive down all the mat- numbers that actually matter you gain all these false signals early that hey we're doing great applications are up hey our admits are up 50%. We're in great shape. We're going to project this class based on what's happened in the past. Well, that doesn't work anymore, right? Yep. Now you're yep. seeing, well, what we should have is a class of X size, but we're X minus 50 or X minus 100 because, you know, you're not one of four colleges competing for that kid. You're one of 12. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that also speaks to, the importance of, of being really thoughtful about how you're actually doing your enrollment funnel analysis. I've actually had two podcast episodes now where I've spoken to people both on the marketing side and on the enrollment side, and they've said, our inquiries are actually down, but the quality of applicants that we're getting is better and we're yielding more. 
And so you really have to look at things from beginning to end. Having a bunch of inquiries is not that helpful if you're if, if they're not applying for one. Yeah. And having a bunch of applicants isn't helpful if they're not actually enrolling and staying enrolled up until June 1st. So it's really important to look at those conversions across a continuum instead of only looking at some of these broader numbers. Because you're right, I think families are applying to more schools And I also think that, you know, on the school side, they're casting some really wide nets as well in terms of the the folks that they're trying to attract. You know, at my previous school, as we were kind of on our digital marketing journey, we had to become more and more strategic, both from a budgetary standpoint, but also from a targeting standpoint with our advertising, right? Because if you're newer to doing things like search ads and display ads and social media ads, you have to be very, very careful about who you're getting in front of. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it kind of it's it's both, right? With the targeting of everything, are you getting the right type of person seeing your ads? Are you getting the? I mean, that's that's a key piece that's often missed. Are you just buying your own name, and so you're getting people who are already looking for you? Or you're expanding right. your reach. Yep. You know, it. I always chuckle slash cry a little bit, die a little bit inside <laughs> when I see that. I'll see an ad somewhere for like a local, I saw one actually this morning for a local car washing business in Houston, Texas. It's like, I'm, I don't live in Houston. Uh, I'm not yes. going to drive 14, 15, 16 hours to go get my car washed. No one That's should do that. Poor targeting. <laughs> <laughs> if I saw an ad for a local school, makes sense. I have school right. children, right? Right. Yep. yep. That part's important. All my right. last number, one, number three here. This is the big one. Last chance number to knock three. it out of the park. Home run. Uh, well, no, this <laughs> this is another C. And this is this actually goes back to one of the points that I made earlier when I was talking about forms of outreach to families. So my prediction was that schools across segments would double down on digital communications, and that was a hope, um, partially because that's what we told people to do. Uh, but, but also, you know, you always want to hope that people are reading and seeing some of the same things that you are and that they're gathering feedback from their current families about what's actually resonating with them and people who are in their admissions pipeline, right? Like it's very simple to put together a survey or even just ask people how they're hearing about you, what they're interacting with, if you're looking at your data to be able to see what points of engagement are actually working for you. And so I hoped that this was something that was going to happen. Um, And since we just completed at the time of this recording our parent surveys, we've got a pretty good handle on what parents are using both in the awareness stage when they're first starting that school search and then what actually factors into them making their decisions as they move through the funnel. I will say it again, it's, it's not the billboards or the direct mail pieces or the print ads or the radio ads. It's not, it's not any of those things, unfortunately. So if that is something that you have been spending a lot of time and money on, I am giving you permission to, to maybe take a beat on that um, and, and clip this part of the recording and share it with <laughs> whoever may be asking you to do that. Because it, it really, those things are not moving the needle from from a parent or a student standpoint. You know, one of the recommendations that we're really making now coming into this year is that you have to have a student engagement strategy. They're playing a huge, huge role in choosing the schools that they enroll in. So it's not just about the parents anymore. 
you really do have to engage the students and no TikTok is not the only strategy for doing that. It's, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's, it plays a role, but there are other things um, that actually have an even bigger impact with students. So and it's not a strategy either. That, that it is, is not a strategy. As a way TikTok to, yeah. as a channel is not a student engagement yeah. strategy. Channels so, are not strategies. No, no, they are not. No, they are not. We'll say that one more time. Do it, Will. Channels are not <laughs> strategies. I love that. We'll clip that one too. I, I was wrong about the digital. We actually saw print materials see a bit of a resurgence in our yeah. state of enrollment marketing survey, which made me, oh, I did the laugh cry too yeah. that you mentioned. That was very interesting. And people claimed that there was some effectiveness to that. But that was also interesting because we also saw that people were not regularly reviewing their campaigns or their budget. So I'm not actually mm -hmm. sure how that evaluation is happening. We saw a lot of this on the district side. More than half of public schools said that they were using brochures and direct mail to recruit new families. And close to half said that they were using print ads and local publications, which I know from my own experience can be very, very expensive for something that you're just kind of hoping someone sees and takes action on out of context mm -hmm. at, at that. And then for private schools, very similar numbers, more than half using brochures and view books and print ads. We love our print ads in the private school world. And so the good news here and what gives me some hope for 2023 is that we are seeing some increased investment in organic search slash SEO. Mm -hmm. which we know is is the top driver for, for families that are in that awareness stage. So that's definitely something that schools are investing in. I hope that they're doing it well. SEO is something that's very easy to do incorrectly, especially yeah. if you're trying to manage it on your own. It requires a lot of skill and management and maintenance. And research. And research, you know, yep. so, and those are all things that I know a lot of people on the other side of the desk don't have time for. So if you're thinking about things that you might want to outsource support with coming into the next year, that's a big one. But what is what is missing from the equation that I'd like to see come up a little bit higher is actually school search and review platforms, which we found to be very major influencers, all of the things that you've heard about people shopping for schools in the same way that they shop, so to speak, for cars and sweaters and figurines to put, you know, on shelves in their houses. I mean, it really does run the gamut and it, it extends to the school search process too. And we've seen that in our data. So I would like to see more schools across segments invest more in that because those are both factors that, again, will determine whether or not your website gets found in the first place. So continue to invest in that, but also invest in the things that are going to help people discover that platform. And mail can be effective if it's relevant. Absolutely. If it's targeted, if it's, I've got about a foot high stack of mail sitting beside me from secret shopping right now that I could start <laughs> pulling things off and show you how irrelevant most of it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you'll you'll get to hear me rant about that in the spring. But I don't know how you say it's relevant or irrelevant if you're not collecting the data. If you're not measuring exactly. it, if you don't have a way to say this person took an action because of this postcard or this letter, or you know, if you don't have the data, if you don't have a way to track it, you're just guessing. That and anecdotal stories are not yeah. data. 
<laughs> so that is the because we all know someone somewhere who saw something and took action with that that in, you know in a, one specific example everyone has you know a friend or an aunt or someone who saw an ad and did something with that ad or a school that had one student enroll from one direct mail piece maybe you know like yeah. it's 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 those and those anecdotes are great but that's not data and it's it's much more effective to make decisions and allocate resources to things that are supported by data well overall i think that <laughs> that you grade yourself a little harshly because there's a lot of things that are outside of your control so this is true we'll uh, we'll keep that in mind moving into my report card as well uh <laughs> And that's half the fun of these. I think they're they're part prediction, part hope of what will happen. Oh yeah, there was a lot of hoping on my yeah. side for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think the the predictions coming out this year might look a little bit different. Yes. Okay, my first prediction was that students will continue to base their decisions on name recognition and brand. And you know what? I'm going to give myself a B plus for that uh, because <laughs> because. Yes, they are. Yes, the majority of students and and our surveys that have happened since then have said that they are still basing their decisions, not only who to consider, but where to enroll based on the brand and based on name recognition of the college. So, I I mean, right now we're kind of sounding like an A, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, Uh it's actually diminishing. So, in our fall survey of seniors in 2021, so there was a class of 2022 at that point. Let's see if we can follow all the years here. Uh, the class <laughs> of 2022, 70% said they were determining where to apply based on brand name and recognition. This fall, it dropped to 64%. Still, what? That's about two-thirds of students yeah. are basing where to apply based on it. So it's still the majority. I'll, that, I'm giving myself okay grade there. <laughs> but it's less important now. And when we looked at the senior class and what ultimately helped them make their decision, why did they choose the college they're at? 62% said that the brand name and recognition helped determine where they enrolled. That's still majority, right? 62%. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sneeze at that. It's still very important. It's a little bit more important at the consideration stage than ultimately the decision phase. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's slightly less. So it's going to be interesting this coming year to see if, is that a blip on the radar or right. is it a trend? You know, are we seeing it become less and less important? They're looking more at where is the school instead of who is the school. And is the school right for me? Yeah. Right? Because that's I, I that's the one area where I would hope to see more of a trend, just having seen, and I, you're closer to this than I am, but how much stress and anxiety this process mm-hmm. can cause. And a lot of that stems from students applying to some of these REACH schools just because of their name and not necessarily yeah. because that's the best fit. All my friends are applying to X, Ivy right. League school, insert name here, and so I should too. Well, that doesn't make it right for you. And when we look at the student comments on, on the free response sections, we see things on both sides. There's the students who are saying things like, it doesn't matter, it only matters what education I get. And mm. there's a lot of students, and this was one of the most, I do I do engram analysis of all the uh, I won't for anyone who's not a giant nerd like me. Uh, <laughs> it's basically looking at the most common words and phrases with them. Mm-hmm. And and by far the most common was they were tying this idea of 
well, if I go to a college that everyone's heard of, it'll be easier for me to get a job. Mm -hmm. People are going to look at what college I attended. I don't know how true that is. But if that's perception, it doesn't matter how true it is, right? It's a big, and that perception's reality, right? And that is something that I think we've all grown up hearing is, you know, it's that initial step, right? Mm -hmm. To finding that first job is all about the name recognition. And I know that we just said that anecdotes are not (laughs) not (laughs) data, but I personally can attest to, you know, the fact that that's not, that's not, it's not the end all be all when it comes to getting that first job out of school. I mean, I moved from Michigan to the DC area Mm-hmm. I attended a school in Michigan that is well-known there, probably a little bit more well-known in the Midwest now, but it's not super well-known here. You know, I live in a place now where I tell people where I'm from and they either assume that I went to the University of Michigan or Michigan State. I went to neither. Yep. <laughs> and yep. it was not an obstacle for me. The, my first job was at a law firm here after working at a law firm in Michigan. And they cared more about the fact that I had previous law firm experience than they did, you know, and and how did I get that first job at the law firm? It was someone who went to the school that I attended. So mm-hmm. alumni connections, having a strong career services program, internships, there are lots of things that matter and can help you get that first job. And you can get a job in a major metropolitan area if you have not mm-hmm. gone to a top 10 or Ivy League school. It is possible. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So for all the students who somehow stumbled upon this episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or for the parents, yeah. right, who yep. are listening yep. and have that influence on their students, you know, whether you have a nine-year-old like I do or you have a, a child who's old enough to actually be going through this process, I hope it's helpful for you to also hear that everyone can take a collective deep breath and and maybe focus on on that right fit because that that's that is ultimately what matters yeah and i think that's that's where it gets a little muddy for me we always tell students right fit and students will use the term right fit what does that mean though yeah that's where it gets okay what is fit what is right what is i don't know i honestly don't i don't know the 17 18 year old knows i was gonna say that's an age group where they probably can't answer those questions very Yeah. So, okay. B plus, not horrible, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't foresee it becoming less important either. I thought it would hold pretty steady. So it's interesting. All right. Prediction number two, student interest in the arts, especially outside of their major. So things that they continue doing something because they love it will continue to increase. And second part here, colleges will start building. And this was, I think this was my downfall throughout is that oh, I kept no. adding second parts. I kept adding this <laughs> and also, you know, what 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 is that? Is that a is that a prop bet? What what is that? Um, <laughs> but colleges will start building recruiting machines modeled after athletics. Uh, I gave myself a C. Uh, because Oh boy. You know, I mean C, that's that's middle ground, right? That's average because I think I got the first half right. We saw okay. more students again saying that they want a campus to emphasize the arts. They want a community that emphasizes the arts. They want to be able to be involved in the arts. You know, that's something that at the start of the pandemic, we saw a shift. We've been doing these surveys for seven years. They predated me. We saw the shift of more students now interested in the arts and athletics. 
the athletic fan experience or participation has been declining in importance. The arts importance has been increasing. You know, that's something I think I got that right because students are more and more interested. They want to be able to participate. They want to be able to see arts around them. So public art projects, things like that, Mm -hmm. theater, public performances, they want to be able to, if they want to learn how to paint or draw or do graphic design, awesome. Let's let them do that as an extracurricular. So we're seeing all that. First part, yes. And then I had to add that prop bed at the end. <laughs> of college will start building recruiting machines modeled after athletics. If I just done the first part, I got an A. If I just done the second part, I got an F. So I uh-huh. averaged for a C. Because that's not what we saw at all. I'm still not seeing investment in it. If you look at the number of students saying they're interested in the arts and the number of students saying they're interested in athletics. And then you look at how many dedicated athletics recruiters, how many dedicated mm-hmm. arts recruiters it's polar opposites. I mean, how many campuses, I mean, let's, let's just look at a single sport. Let's look at something small like football, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how many, how many football recruiters do the campus have? How many basketball recruiters, how many baseball recruiters, two, three, 10, 15. Okay. How many for the arts? I'm hearing crickets. I mean, it's so many campuses. They might have one person that's part of their job to recruit for the arts. We're just not seeing that students want it. And there's just not the response. You know, what campuses, I mean, it looks different if it's a conservatory, it looks different if it's a music school within like, like I use music school. Okay. Yes. They have a recruiting team or things like that. But what about everyone else? If I want to be like you and I want to go to Grand Valley State, I want to be able to sing in the choir. It's not my major. It's not. It's just something I want to continue doing. No one wants to hear me personally sing in the choir, but <laughs> I'm a student at this point. And I want to sing in the choir. Do they have people who can be that touch point? You know, right. You need the, these sticky points, right? The admissions counselor is one. Do they have students or faculty in the major of interest that they can connect with and have the stickiness there? They want the arts. Is there someone there they can have that stickiness with? You know, if they're interested in service, is there someone there they can have that stickiness with? Because it's much harder to say no to a campus where you have all these connections already. Yeah. Much easier if your only contact is the admissions counselor. Oh, and by the way, with all the staff turnover, what's the likelihood they have the same counselor the entire year? No, there's such an opportunity, whether it's dedicated recruiters, whether it's whether it's some other model where it's a part time role, someone who can build that affinity, build that connection. I want to see that investment. Yeah. Okay. That was my soapbox moment. Uh, (laughs) I love a good will patch soapbox. It's one of my favorite things. (laughs) It happens far too often. (laughs) All right. The third one here. And this is another one that maybe I'm being too harsh on myself. Relevance will replace personalization. Oh, (laughs) I gave myself an F. Uh, Because, and this isn't this isn't for lack of request by the student, by lack of desire from the student, relevance is getting more and more important every year to students. But what they say they're receiving is getting worse. Fewer students are saying they're receiving relevant, relevant information. More students are saying that they're receiving what looks and sounds the same from all colleges. They can't yeah. differentiate one from the other. You know, if I, if I pull one of these postcards out and I put my hand over the name, and you didn't know it from the coloring and branding, you wouldn't be able to tell who it is. Mm-hmm. The, the emails I get secret shopping, it's amazing how many of them where the email reads almost exactly the same if you just wow. black out the name. 
I think it's over 40% of emails I've gotten now are just saying visit. But they're not telling me why I should care. Right. Why should I visit there? And it's almost always the same. It'll be something along the lines of, you're invited to this visit day on X date here. Uh, You'll be able to take a campus tour, talk to students, (laughs) you know, eat lunch in our cafeteria. It's amazing how many people highlight that as a huge selling point. Wow. You know, you'll be able to hear from faculty advisors. And you hear that same four bullet points from 20, 30 different colleges and not a single one telling you why it matters. Why should I care? Why should I visit? Just acting like you had never considered it before. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it should replace personalization. Yes, students want it to replace. Mm-mm. So the, the number of students saying that all colleges look and sound the same from fall of 21 to fall of 2022 almost doubled from 15% to 27%. Wow. So over a quarter of students saying every single college they hear from looks and sounds the same. Wow. We know they are not the same, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, I can't tell the difference. There's a, a term I, I came up with. Well, I probably didn't come up with it, but <laughs> one of our playbooks surrounding it as well, these window shoppers. The yeah. students who are going out and they're doing their search. I can't think of a better way of describing it than passively, where they're not actively going out and talking to admissions, talking to people on campus. They're reading about colleges on niche. They're doing Google searches. They're going to your website, but they're not inquiring. They're not mm-hmm. asking for information. So these are students who aren't getting your comp flow either. That's a big one. These students who are actively out there and doing their own search on their own, not asking for help, not asking to interact. You know, that's something that we've seen go up. So just recently here, the number of students who said they did not fill out a single inquiry form, so did not go to a college, fill out an inquiry form increased from 16% to 28%. Wow. They are not asking for information. And why would they if everything they receive sounds the same? Right. If right. I say I'm interested in your marketing program, I'm interested in your art program, I'm interested in your physical therapy program, and you respond with apply today, why Why did I fill out the inquiry form? Right. I want to know about this program. It's an inquiry. The student is asking a question, right? Right. If we did that in real life, if I walked up to you and said, hey, Angela, hey, what? Uh, how, how was your weekend? What'd you do? And you you just came back with, you should fill out my newsletter form. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't, I know it's a bad analogy, but the, the, you're not responding to what was asked. Right. Right. You're not responding to where they are in the process. Exactly. And I I would actually be really interested in seeing what some of this looks like on the K-12 side, because my assumption is that it's the same, if not worse. And I I have not gone through a secret shopping process yet for K-12, even though it is something I have deviously planned. Um, But I really, even just in my work before, you know, being hyper aware of how peer schools were positioning themselves and now seeing on a broader national level what that looks like, I see a lot of the same things where they're proposing on the first date and Mm -hmm. you look at website homepages and social media posts and ads. And if you strip out that logo, and you're not already familiar with the school, you don't know mm-hmm. what a, you know a signature building on the campus looks like, for example, mm-hmm. or you look at videos. Videos are, I, I, unfortunately, no offense, my friends, but particularly 
in the independent school space. We really love our drone video of the campus <laughs> with the soft yep. music playing in the yep. background. And I, I mean, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. And they yep. don't tell you anything specific or unique about the institution or the people there, you know, or the experience that you're going to have. And that is where I think it's just so important to have a really strong brand, but to be able to articulate that effectively so that you are attracting the right students and telling them the right stories at the right time that actually resonate. Yeah, I could see why, because if you look at the photography of the video, like you mentioned, how often it doesn't represent what's actually there. Like yes. you, you see the photo of, oh, there's five students sitting on a step smiling at the camera. <laughs> uh, I, I was I was curious, one of the campuses, because you see the same the same demographic breakdown in the photos, regardless mm-hmm, of what campus you're looking mm-hmm, at. Uh, everyone mm-hmm. knows these stock photo you looking things. Yeah. And I, I looked up the college because, you know, there's five students in the picture. One of them was white. I look up the, the campus. It's 85% white students. It's like, well, okay. So, oh, no. so you're, the expect, expectation you're setting in this photo is very, very different than what the reality of the campus is. Please don't yeah. use forced diver- diversity photography. Please don't. It's bad. It's misleading. It's not. It is. It, it is. never. It never represents. Yeah, the photos, the videos, they have to reflect. They have to be relevant. Yes. So when you're doing your ads, when you're doing your print pieces, if it's, if you're doing an ad, it's so easy to customize mm-hmm. the, who you're targeting, what creative you're using. You know, speak to what that student cares about. Use photography. Use copy that speaks to what that student is interested in, in terms of major, in terms of extracurriculars, in terms of where they're from. Yeah. So that was my that was my F in there, my my wishful thinking. It's what students want. It's what should be done. It's not what's being done. Yeah, I joined you on that soapbox. That's a. I have yeah. a lot of thoughts and feelings about that. Maybe we'll do a <laughs> follow up episode. Yeah. <laughs> Oops! All soapboxes. <laughs> okay. Next one here. The value and outcome will move up in messaging as more and more students and parents eliminate colleges from consideration before applying due to the total published cost. What I mean there is so often people avoid talking about cost, talking about mm-hmm. aid, talking about all that because they're afraid it'll turn people off. And yet we see already the majority of students and parents, regardless of income level, eliminating colleges from consideration just based on the sticker price. Mm-hmm. They don't want to wait to find out how much it actually costs. You know, they want to look at how much is it right now. You know, I don't know that I can get enough to to make that worthwhile. I I actually gave myself an A there, so that was that was a good one. Good job. And thanks. Yay. <laughs> because I've seen a lot of good things there in terms of the secret shopping, in terms of very early on. Because right now the secret shopping project is as a junior. I want to see what the underclass comp flows look like. Mm. And so many colleges are addressing financial aid junior year. They're being realistic about it. They're being, I mean, that is awesome. I'm so glad to see that coming out early. That's something I'm I'm very happy about. For context, you know, I said the majority, 57% of parents said they're eliminating colleges based on the sticker price. 81% of students. Wow. Um, that's one that, you know, that 50th percentile is right around the $40,000 a year. So mm. if you're over 40000 a year, majority of students are saying they would not consider applying to you. 
I'm glad to see that coming up early. Try and address, yes, here's our sticker price. Here's our average aid. Here's what you might expect. One of the reasons that our direct admissions pilots have worked so well is that right up front, the student is told what their scholarship is. Right. Based on, on your academics, right up front, you don't have to wait. It's not a mystery. I mean, that's, that's a pain point the students want removed. Okay. Next one here. You know, when I do, when I give myself an A, there's not a lot to talk about, I guess. I should do that more. <laughs> it but, worked. Congrats. <laughs> oh, here's another one that I had to get that prop bet on. Uh, the search will increasingly <laughs> move online. Traditional visits will get smaller and more segmented. I did well in the first part. I did poorly on the second. Uh. <laughs> so I'm giving myself a C. I'm averaging out again. Yeah, window shopping. I talked about already. It's on the rise. Students are moving more and more online. They're they're less likely to go visit a campus. They're less likely to go talk to someone. They're less likely to go to a college fair. They're doing their search online. You know, they're coming to niche. They're going to Google. They're going on social. They're they're looking around for how do I figure out what this college is actually like. And yet, traditional visits are not getting smaller and more segmented, sadly. Mm. So the visit experience when we talked to students, overall not that happy with it. Uh, it was a major pain point. Uh, when we asked about things they want to see colleges do differently, the visits were mentioned a lot in terms of things like students talking about they were just too general. You know, they were hearing the same things they see on the website. Colleges wow. showing the same video that they have on their website. So there was no point to coming. The, the tour is being too big. that They can't ask questions. They can't hear what's being said. Things like that. I was really surprised the number of times it came up that people mentioned that they didn't get to see a dorm on the visit. What? Yeah. I, you know, if that was a one-off, okay. But it was over and over and over. Students mentioning they didn't see dorms on a tour. Oh, no. Huge problem. Huge problem. If you're going to live somewhere, yes. That is really yeah. Problem. Yeah. I mean, if you're a commuter, okay, no problem. Sure. If I'm going to be living on campus. I want to see the dorm. Oh my goodness. Uh, so that was a really big, really big surprise. And this is something that I started talking about a year and a half ago, just this smaller, more segmented events. So you could have an event surrounding a major an event surrounding right. a specific program. You know, it doesn't have to be these big all encompassing. Well, everyone will get a little bit of something because if you're trying to make something for everybody, you're making it for nobody. So yep. make it this highly segmented. Here's what it's about. I think Sienna is doing the right thing here. I mean, Sienna is doing an awesome job with really focusing in events. They're making them all about the experience. They're they're taking this look at everything is centered around the student experience. How do we focus on what they are doing? Bring that energy. It's not just what do we want to say to them. It's what they get out of it. Mm-hmm. How do they have a great experience? They go tell everyone else about. Yep. And that's the approach that more people need to take. I love that. They do some really great marketing too. Yeah. Sienna's yep. a, a, a good one to watch for those yes. who are looking for some inspiration. Yep. Great team. You know, colleges with the best mobile-friendly website experience will win applicants. That was my my final one here. I gave myself an incomplete. Uh, I don't know if that's <laughs> cheating or not. <laughs> it totally is. That's okay. All is forgiven. Continue. All right. Uh, Well, I mean, one of the reasons the students reported not applying or completing applications to colleges was they said that the application wasn't mobile friendly. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to fill out an application on your phone and it's not mobile friendly, that's a problem. You need to think about what is above the fold. If students get there, are they 
are is everything just your header or are they being <laughs> able to see is it i mean because that's that's a real problem oh i've seen that before yeah oh yeah in my previous role that was one of the things i looked at because we were u- looking at some user recordings and we saw people in a loop where they just kept pressing the same button on the sides what in the world oh no well you look at the actual user recording and you see well they hit the deposit deposit button and the page loads and it looks the same well because uh, all the information about it was below the fold mm. so they thought they were on the same page and they clicked again and they thought they were on the same page and they clicked again that was a that was a problem so we went through and made a lot of changes so you have things like that looking at load times you know yeah. making sure your application loads quickly making sure that all of your admissions pages load quickly uh, making sure it's easy to navigate can you find it from anywhere on the site because every page is a landing page from any kind of search you can wind up on a page in your archives well from it's that so how true. do you learn more you can't just have this well anyone looking for admissions will land in admissions nope. anyone looking for the application will land in the application <laughs> the the big thing I, I gave myself an incomplete there is that i don't have a good way of measuring it right it has to be measurable right we know it's a pain point for students but i can't say definitively okay correlate the number of applications and the number of acceptances and enrollments to the load times to the user experience mm-hmm. so that was a i mean honestly that was kind of a, a bad guess for me a bad uh, prediction because i don't have a way <laughs> of measuring success so i'm putting that squarely on my shoulders there i'll do better i promise but, <laughs> i would say once more for the people in the back who happen to be in k-12 because it's true for you as well my friends yeah. you have to make sure that you have a very mobile-friendly website experience. And the the part about every page being a landing page, I think, is an important sticking point because that's not often the way that people think about their websites. They make this distinction between these very specific landing pages and the rest of the website. But you have Mm -hmm. to be prepared to send people toward the calls to action that you want them to see in multiple locations on your site. Cause you don't always know how they're going to arrive on your website. Yeah. A multitude of ways that they could show up. So you got to make sure that they can get where you want them to go quickly. Yeah. And if you need proof, go into Google analytics, look at your application, look at your inquiry form and look at the entry pages. Yep. Is it always an admissions page? Is it always the inquiry form itself, the application itself? If anyone says yes to that, I'd say you have bad analytics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that wasn't so bad. Let's, let's make more predictions. Let's make more <laughs> predictions this year. And next year, they'll be all A pluses. So. I, at, <laughs> at, at, a, at a minimum, I would like to have more than one decent grade. So that's that's what I that will be my goal for 2023. All right. All right. Bring well, a little bit more realism goals. in. <laughs> and the good thing about this goal is it's measurable. So Yes. Yes. <laughs> to everyone out there listening, thanks for joining Thanks for listening to the podcast. Share this with a friend. If you're one of our people who listens and doesn't subscribe, hit that subscribe button, of course. I feel like I'm on YouTube now. but <laughs> Like and subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great end of the year. Uh, if you're listening to this already in 2023, I hope it's turning out all right for you so far. If you're listening to this beyond that, 2024, 2025, wow. I can't believe you're catching up still, but that's part of the cool thing of this. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, Will. And thank you, Angela.
Hey, everybody. Welcome to a very... I hated that intro. <laughs> <laughs> From the top. Da, 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 da. 